Let me ta- now turn the call over to Eric, who will make some personal remarks. Thank you, John. I want to start by saying what an honor and a privilege it has been to work for NextEra Energy. While saying goodbye to such a great organization is always difficult, I know that now is the right time for me to hand over the reins of FPL. The last year has been one of the most challenging of my career, given a number of distractions, including two hurricanes and significant supply chain inflationary pressures. Welcome back to Why Are We Like This, the only true crime podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene it is. I'm David Quinones, I am your host, and I'm joined uh, this time in person in a real studio with my boy Tomas, Tomas Kennedy. How's it going? Feels good. Feels good to be here in person, to be able to, to touch you, to feel Important. you. It's Important good. to touch and feel yeah. <laughs> through your way through podcasting. I know. It's a, it's, people have a mistake, have a misconception that it is a, um, an audio medium, but no, it's actually all five senses. The tactile medium. And meanwhile, when, a thousand miles away. The boys be, are involved. <laughs> a thousand miles away. Yeah, when the fellows are, are around, it, it gets touchy. Um, a thousand miles away, of course, our other co-host, Gerald Doherty. Jer, how's it going? I'm doing all right. I'm feeling everyone emotionally, as I usually do, spiritually through through uh, through my sixth sense. Um, so I have to put the other five on hold. Yeah, keep focused on that six on that that third eye, sixth yes. sense. Yeah, exactly. So our guest today is our friend uh, Mario Arisa, a Miami-based journalist who covers climate action and the well-heeled big money interests that are invested in um, keeping progress from happening on climate change. You can find his work at floodlightnews.org. You can also follow him on Twitter at Mario Arisa Baez and follow Floodlight at Floodlight News. Uh, he also wrote one of my favorite books, which I brought in today uh, on climate change. Um, one of my favorite books on climate change. One of my favorite books too, Disposable City, which is available wherever books are sold, I think, right, Mario? Correct, yes. Okay, so welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to be talking to you again. Um, it's it's a dream. Yeah, so, it's so, yeah. it's a dream to be on with uh, the iconic uh, Gerald with Tomas, yeah, Tomas and Gerald. Um, <laughs> all, all icons today, icons in our own way and in, yeah. our, in our own time. We're, what you guys are hearing out there, if you're listening to this episode, is the fun, sort of pensive awkwardness of like being in the room together and recording a podcast for. Have we recorded one in person? No, we haven't. No, no, We've no. had lots of production meetings. Yeah. We've like you know grabbed beers and you know met up. It's not like we haven't ever hung out in person, but it is weird. And I think yeah. it's it's fun, and we got to try to do it a little bit more often. Um, that said, we've got Mario here for a specific reason. We want to talk about a few things with him, but more specifically, you folks might remember a few months back when we had Alyssa Jean Schaefer on, and we were talking about. Um, basically all the trials and trials and tribulations over at Florida power and light, which is the largest, I believe, um, public utility and happens to be our public utility. Uh, a lot's happened, um, particularly in the, in the realm of leadership over there. A lot of things are moving around and we want to get to that. But before we do, I thought we might talk about a couple of really quick news items that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about. Don't worry, Mario. I checked your Twitter feed. I know this is the kind of stuff that you've been retweeting or talking about at least. (laughs) Guys, where I'm going to ask this question and use it as a preface for this particular news item. Where would you guys send a spy balloon if you were um, a member of the Chinese you know, military and you had to put a spy balloon over Florida? Where specifically would you do it, T? I, I think like Southwest Florida over Rick Scott's house. 
Oh, is that where he lives? I I I thought he lived in Tampa for some reason. No, he lives like by Naples area, but I imagine all kinds of sick fucking shit is happening over there. So (laughs) I would would put it right over his mansion. A lot of Bohemian Grove type activity. Yeah. yeah. Jared, what do you you think? Where would you send a Chinese balloon in in, in Florida? Or would you not even send it there? Would you send it to upstate New York? No, I would do the Guitar Hotel uh, in Broward County. (laughs) Such a good answer. But also, if they wanted to keep this thing like camouflaged you would have covered it in advertising so that everyone would think this was one of ours like there's no brilliant smart yeah there's no like mattress firm there's no goodyear tire there's no anything if you had covered this in ads no one would have thought anything of it because they've been like oh this is clearly a a promotional item that uh, mayor suarez has come out to generate money for (laughs) for the city jerry i want you to hold that thought because i do have another news item with respect to Mayor Suarez and promotional items that I want us to talk about. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm going to be very pleased to hear it, <laughs> but, Mario. I don't know. What did you think about this? Just for in case maybe you are. If, so if you're I, a listener out there and you've been hiding under a rock, um, this is from ABC News. Uh, there is a large Chinese reconnaissance balloon spotted over the U.S. Uh, over in Montana. A massive spy balloon, believed to be from China, was seen above Montana and is being tracked as it flies across the continental United States. Sorry, Mario, what were you going to say? No, so I I saw this earlier today, and I actually asked ChatGPT to compose a rock song about uh, (laughs) the Chinese spy balloon. Because I thought, first of all, Chinese spy balloon would be a great name for a rock band. That is a good name. Sort of like a a new order, like, but like, you know, Chinese, they were just- Yeah, like post-punk, new wave type. Exactly, right? They just, they never, they never took off until they took off. Um, but the lyrics, it sounds like you're already about a quarter of the way through their press release. Absolutely. Actually. <laughs> um, and this is their number one hit single. I'm going to read you just two two lines from what ChatGPT wrote uh, about the song Chinese. Yeah, don't Bible. give it all away. In the skies above Montana, a mystery floating on a Chinese spy balloon, spreading fear and alarm. Here's the chorus. Watching every move we make, stealing secrets it may take, but we won't be a victim gonna fight it no submission so like a little a little anti-chinese sentiment yeah it's a little like right it's a little like right wing yeah it's it's got some reactionary you know this is like a like a little that's like like a hong kong pride song (laughs) 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 yeah it's a a hong kong post-punk band (laughs) so all right that's far away guys and i wanted to try to bring it home a little bit but uh a little closer to home here in miami um for our second little short news brief that we want to touch on uh, the miami police department have, have unveiled their newest cruiser in honor of black history month now some of you folks might be saying like okay but what about like teaching black history in some of the schools maybe like that's a good place to start no illegal don't do it don't do it not allowed don't do it just don't you're gonna get a third, third degree felony right yeah, you learned on a recent episode um so yeah, I don't know. I, just, I I saw that Mario, you had you had the way that this ended up in my feed is uh, first of all it came from because Miami, and um and then you retweeted it. So you know with the way that the, the Twitter feed works now, it's like if two of peop- the people you follow tweet any one thing, like it's just there forever, and you're never gonna get away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what what, what did you think of the, <laughs> the mayor's latest um, uh, you know uh, I, I guess this is gonna go in his in his campaign dossier when he's running for president in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I took this as a clear sign, obviously, um, by unveiling a uh, Black History Month uh, themed police cruiser um, on the beginning of Black History Month, days after uh, 
the video of the gruesome death of this gentleman in Memphis had been published, um, I took this as nothing more and nothing less than a sign that he is very serious about his run for president. T, what did you think? I mean, just the fact that it was, like, covered in, in like, outlines of the African continent. You know I mean? What, what else can you say? But I, I think... I don't want to say that it's funny because it's not, but it is kind of funny. But the addendum to the story is that the Circle of Brotherhood, which is like a black-led nonprofit, was promised a million dollars. Oh, yeah. I uh, by Francis Suarez and the city uh, commission about a year ago. And they ended up getting like a ceremonial check. And like they, they were never able to cash in. Like they ended up getting like zero dollars from the city commission. So I'm like, did the the million dollars just go to to a kickback to whatever contractor painted the, the yeah black that was a million dollar paint cruiser? job it was yeah, a million like, dollar paint job like, yeah. what so that's that, that's just the addendum to the story where's the money for our organization I'm sorry did you not see the Ford Expedition Hello, we, like it's right there <laughs> we have the sickest wokest uh, <laughs> police cruiser in uh, American history Jared did, did did this news escape you up there in New York or no so I. Up here, up in the hinterlands, uh, I a couple of days ago, Microsoft announced that February is uh, Xbox Anime Month, and I said, "Well, this will probably be the most embarrassing missing of the mark uh, uh, for the month of February, <laughs> since that's not what I associate the month of February with." Only to be outdone uh, mentally and spiritually by Mayor Suarez. Um, so I think he has to up himself and unveil an Xbox Anime Month uh, police car uh, as a uh, companion to the Black History Month car. Jer- like, if somebody scrubbed the identifying details from this and was like, a mayor of a major American city did this, I would 100% think it was Eric Adams. Yeah, I would have thought it was one of yes. the Fords up in yes. Toronto. Oh, that too. Yeah. That but, but, you know, actually, Mario, this is a, uh, for any of us, actually. But I, I think because it's supposed to be assigned to Coconut Grove. I don't think this it's been such an embarrassment that I, and he's getting dunked on so hard yeah. that I don't think the police cruiser will actually see the light of day. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I don't think we'll actually ever see the police cruiser. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do think that people should file a whole lot of public records requests related to this police cruiser to see what, because I would assume that it's already at some highly a chop shop right now, oh, yeah. <laughs> getting <I> mean... dismantled, <laughs> and they're just trying to memory hold this. Wasn't this Co- car. <laughs> wasn't Coconut Grove a black neighborhood before it was gentrified out? In a lot of in a lot of parts of of Coconut Grove, it still is very yeah. much a black neighborhood. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and there's uh, about a hundred original Bahamian families still living there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are very famous names, they, uh, like um, Sturp, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the name of the uh, oldest, I think the oldest house here in, in Sturp House. The Indeed. Sturp House in yeah. Miami. I used to live down the street from there. Right. And um, the Gore family, of course, which right. most of us sports fans we know um, from uh, Frank Gore, but his family is a very prominent family in, in um the, in, in Coconut Grove, uh, the patriarch just died a few years ago at the age of like 108 or something like that. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, Jared totally is like, in, I mean, it's kind of weird, right? Like what a, what a weird, I, I'm thinking of like genuflecting with the with the kinta cloth on. Like it's just these like yeah. pointless, well, like why, why do this? It's, it, and, I guess, I mean, I would have just liked to have been a fly on the wall for the conversation in which that was discussed and in which that idea <laughs> went from an idea to reality. 
because like at its base, right? Like I, I don't identify anything necessarily cynical about this. And like, we have to believe that the individuals who came up with this idea are actually well-intentioned, right? Like they think this is a good way to talk about black history. They think this is a good way to reach out to the black community. It's just, it's just so cringe. The thing that it reminds like to, to Mario's point, what it reminds me the most of is, and of all the leftists, like uh, progressive socialist, whatever podcasts that are out there, we're probably the ones, one of the ones that is like most forgiving to Donald J. Trump as like a person because he's a funny person. He makes, and he makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. We are. <laughs> I mean, we don't like him, but he, we he don't like us, him or anything. But like, us, we appreciate him for the funny, quirky incredibly dangerous and horrible character that he's been in American history. But I, 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 I'm thinking of what you just said, Mario, with like stripped of all context, that video that he did in 2016 with the taco bowl is a nice video. It's like, look, we've got great taco bowls here. Oh and, and it's, and somebody was probably like, yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. Just do that. Just show yourself eating a taco bowl. And it's like, okay, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's like, did you realize that the guy that you were handing that taco bowl to is the guy who announced his candidacy for president by in, by indi- by yeah, by implying that us their best yeah, yeah exactly did you realize when starting this um this rap on this Ford Expedition or whatever car it was that you're the ma- mayor of um, a major city in the state that is making African American and Black history studying it or being it being taught in public schools illegal context matters and it's like I think it feels as though a lot of the context gets yeah, I, I think if we're going to be fair to the mayor, like we have to be like, OK, well, what are the issues in the black community that the city, you know, is is having some some friction with at the moment? Right. One is the one that Tomas mentioned. The other one is what's going on with Virginia Key. Mm. Right. Like, I don't know if you've necessarily discussed this on the podcast. No, but, no. Um, Virginia Key is a historic black beach. What do we mean by historic black beach? We mean that before Virginia Key got given to the black community, before they fought for it, they had no place to go to the beach. Yeah. Right, because of segregation, and that was their beach for a long time. There was no causeway to it; you had to take a boat, right? And now it's a state park. And certain elements on the commission, and certain elements in Miami's development community, want to turn that historic black beach slash state park slash lovely place to hang out into the Osage, right? Like, there's a plan out there to like make it into the next Fisher Island, yeah. right? Um, and For those that don't know, Fisher Island is the incredibly wealthy enclave, a, a small island, um, just like a couple leagues away from from right. there, yeah, from that area. Right. So if you know, you start asking questions about what happened to the activity center on the beach and the 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 place that used to rent you the paddle boats there, right. right? Like, there's a plan afoot to do something with that. And I think if if there's, I don't know, I I, I think there's a larger discussion to be had perhaps in in the city about. Black History Month and how we treat our black history. Yeah. You know? I mean, bl- black Bahamians built this city oh, yeah. at, at, at its onset. And you can still see some of the remnants of it. You can talk to people who's, I mean, this is not a very old city. No. This is not a very old part of the country. Right. Like, we've only had this place. We, by by that I mean, like, you know, settlers. We've only, like, had this place, um, you know, tamed however you want to like describe it for like 120 years like the miami herald is one of the few newspapers that covered the incorporation of its a few major american right newspapers. of its city 
Yeah, that it, yeah, exactly. Covered the yeah. incorporation and, of And if you're interested uh, in learning more about the history of Florida, go back and listen to our episode with Matt Chrisman from Chapa Trap House, The People's History of Florida. That's right. In which we uh, call Florida a godless place that was not intended to ever be tamed or or habited by human beings. It's Matt's description of Florida being a, a godless affront to God. An affront, An to, affront God. to God. Yes. So, all right, let's transition a little bit over to our main topic. I, I wanted to, um, uh, Mario, I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit more about a name that we have mentioned a few times on this po- podcast, which I did not know was pronounced this way, Eric Silagi. I've been calling him Eric Silagi, like like syllogisms or something like that. Um, but this is the now soon-to-be former CEO, outgoing CEO of Florida Power & Light. Um, wanted to have you on to talk about the various uh, scandals, uh, a lot of which is in the wheelhouse of your coverage. Um and other aspects of his tenure that uh, I think are going to go down um, in in history as some of the more corrupt uh, involvement that public utilities have uh, affected on state politics or any politics. Um, Things move fast. Like I said before, we had Alyssa Jean Schaefer on like three months ago, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, And so much has changed there. But more broadly than that, I thought that it might be good to talk about this dynamic that I've kind of taken to calling um, like this new era of climate denialism. Mm -hmm. We're accustomed to thinking of about this issue in terms of trying to convince people, here's proof that climate change is happening. Here's proof that it's anthropogenic, right? That people are causing it. Here's the projections of the cost, what it's gonna cost us. Uh, Here's the data about rising tides. And then the denialists mostly rooted in these sort of cultural trappings of conservatism will say, I don't think so. Things have always gotten cold, things have always changed. But I I think we have, you tell me what you think, because it feels like we need to start thinking about this debate in a different way. Oh, the, yes. The discourse is, I think, it, from the from the corporate side of things, more like every day is a gift. If they can delay, if they can keep the status quo, if they can pretend that there's change, uh, or that they're working on change, if they can play time games, greenwashing, conflating, um, you know, clean energy with, with non-clean energy throttling the solutions that they're talking about, if they can introduce doomerism into the conversation, uh, or in the case of Salaji, Sil- uh, fake house cleaning. We're getting rid of the bad guy. Now we're bringing in somebody good. It feels like this is like a new front and, and FPL and other companies like it are innovating every day how they can make climate denialism um, more palatable or at least just keep getting one more day of record profit after record profit. I don't know, what do you think? So, uh... Let me let me take a, a several steps back here um, and sort of give your readers or your listeners some some context uh, into the reporting that I've been doing for the past year or two yeah. in, in case they haven't really been um, in the weeds or in the trenches of this with me. Right. Um, so so Florida right now, you get your power from mainly two what are called investor owned utilities. These are state granted monopolies that also trade on Wall Street. If you're a pension plan or somebody that needs a really steady return on investment, these are great because they're guaranteed about, uh, FPL right now gets, I think, uh, 11 plus percent a year mm-hmm. return on equity. That means that you know, it's, you're gonna make a lot of money. It's a good reliable, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, listen, if you can give me an 11% on anything right now, that'd be right. great. Um, these companies across the country have a a wonderful incentive to uh, be winners in the regulatory process, right? Because their regulators actually set how much money they make, right? And the reporting that I've been doing over the past year 
is devoted to uncovering the ways in which they become regulatory winners. What do I mean by that? So um, a lot of people started focusing on Florida Power and Light after the 2020 election. What happened in the 2020 Florida election? Three state Senate seats went to the Republicans rather than the Democrats because of spoiler candidates or ghost candidates. These were people who had never had political ambition before, in two cases have admitted to being bribed to have run. Money from FPL, due to leaked documents that were released to the Orlando Sentinel, God bless them, traces from FPL through consulting firms, through dark money nonprofit groups, into the races of these candidates, went to promoting these candidates, right? And there are documents and reporting that indicate that Mr. Salajian was, if not necessarily aware of this specific plot, aware of the means and the manners in which these consultants were directing the political giving that his company was doing using so-called dark money 501c4 organizations. What is a dark money 501c4 organization, man on the street? Well, it's basically a black box, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to tell the people where the money goes in. Uh, it, it, it's not necessarily a tax-exempt group, but it's a public benefit corporation. It, basically, it's, it's a way to hide where the money is coming from. Um, these consultants controlled a group of anywhere between 20 to 60, depending on how you define it, of these groups. And there was anywhere between 20 to $50 million rolling through this over a period of five years, right? This money did everything. We see about maybe 10% of it in the ledgers, the leaked ledgers that we have, right? And the organization that I've worked with, Floodlight, in conjunction with the Orlando Sentinel, in conjunction with National Public Radio, um, and in collaboration, right, with the Florida Times Union and Alabama.com, because we all put our heads together on this and Honestly, I tell you, it felt like creating the future of journalism because we decided not to compete. We decided that this story was too big. We started sharing everything, right? It was kind of like a mini Panama Papers. Like yeah. There was like a solid group of, of orgs working together. Yeah. There was like 12 of the smartest people I've ever seen like in a room being like, oh, my God, what is it? Because there was one week, man. I kid you not. We got 12 leaks, right? Like, like and you're lucky if you report, if you get a leak every five years, right? you know, and we got 12 in a week. And we were like, oh, my God, what do these leaks show? These leaks show the financial structures that um, moved money into the ghost candidate races. They show that these uh, consultants uh, were fighting the ballot measure to overturn uh, or to deregularize uh, electricity in Florida. They show that there was about a, almost a million dollars going to six online news organizations across Alabama and Florida to pay for positive news coverage of the utility clients and, and attacks on their uh, opponents. They show that it wasn't three spoiler candidates, it was five. The Herald broke this, right? Um, there was one in Tallahassee uh, in the Senate district, and then there was one against Levine Cava when she was running for Commission District 8, right? Um, and, and it shows that not only that, there was a fake reporter on the payroll, Kristen Henschel. This is a lady who used to do television in Orlando 
and you know lost that job and then just started working for for this consulting company uh while so she they was, were using her byline to basically disseminate a pro, like a friendly news coverage in three specific instances we have evidence that she went up to politicians right brian matz philip stoddard toby oberdorf presented her abc freelance credentials and said here i'm from abc i want to ask you these questions she was not working for abc in those instances right. Right. In one instance, the Stoddard instance, we literally have documented that she was working for Matrix and that it was billed to FPL. Matrix is Matrix the, is the consulting firm based out of Montgomery, Alabama. We have to be trigger on a lot of very careful how we yeah, discuss yeah. Matrix LLC because their founder, Joe Perkins, is a rather litigious individual. <laughs> um, and Joe, I'm broke, man. Good luck. Money from a yeah, money so, from a stone. Don't so, even try so, it. Blood from a stone. Joe is probably one of the most brilliant political strategists you've never heard of. And the only reason we have any of this information is because he and his former CEO, Jeff Pitts, got into a feud. Mm. Oh, that's right. A yes, good old-fashioned Southern feud, right? And Joe sued Jeff. And all of a sudden, leaks started coming out. And what Joe says is that Joe, first of all, didn't leak anything. Second, that all this stuff that Jeff was doing down in Florida, he didn't know about. He had no clue. Joe and Jeff don't get along. Joe and Jeff were working for everybody, right? We traced them to 10 states. And they were working for Southern Company, which is like the FPL of Alabama. It's the FPL yeah. of, of Mississippi. It's the FPL of Georgia. Is that owned by Next Era, the same parent, or a different parent? No, they're two different utility holding companies. Okay. Right? So FPL is owned by Next Era, which is another utility holding company. Um, and Next Era and Southern, you know, they actually have some friction points. In December 2020, Jeff and Joe break up. Joe files a lawsuit in, I want to say, July or June of 2021. And then that's when, like... There's uh, Kyle Whitmire of, of Alabama.com, a columnist, has described that, that lawsuit as a gravity wave <laughs> through the Southeast, right? Because like these guys were so powerful and they had so much influence and they were doing so much. I mean, they had two private aircraft. They were flying thousands of miles a day to see clients in person, right? right? And these were the guys doing all this stuff for FPL. And we have 1,200 pages of leaked documents from their firm, right? Um... And all of this reporting has come out in the past nine months, right? Um, really trickled out over the past year and a half. But I think back to one of the first pieces that I did on this, which is a piece that was about uh, Nate Monroe, a columnist up in Jacksonville, yeah, yeah. getting followed. Right. Because right? Like, one of the things is that like, there's PIs everywhere. Right, like I have to act like I got a PI on. Yeah, no, they had they had pictures of him outside his house with his, with his walking his dog with his girlfriend, dog. walking the dog. They had a wild shit. They they went to like one of the credit reporting companies, I think, and I got and got like like the list of everybody who's ever known him, right? And then we've got an email where the head of Matrix at the time, Jeff Pitts, sends uh, the, one of the 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 FPL uh, public affairs guys, right. A guy named Danny Martell sends a meal says, all right, here's here's all the background around this reporter. TLDR, he's boring and a Democrat. Guys, I just want to reiterate that this is not, we're not talking about like the House congressional 
Committee on Un-American Activities. This is your power company. Right. This is, I mean, like it's their agency, but this is your power company yeah. that's doing this. Right. You're supposedly public utility. Supposedly <laughs> public utility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or it's supposed to be regulated, Yeah. right? right? At the very least. At the very least. <laughs> and, and now we're seeing that they're aggressively going after reporters who are writing stuff about them that they didn't like. So we're all together in this group chat and we start talking. We're like, oh my God, Nate, they were following you. This is nuts. <laughs> and so, so to its credit, the Florida Times Union, which is a stellar paper, long may it stand, mm. assigns this guy who is as cool as a cucumber to this, David Bowerling. He's their city hall reporter. He reaches out to FPL. FPL calls us the next day. Hey, we want to send Eric in. What? Like Eric Zillage? Syllogism? He came and he sat down with us for two hours. And he's like, no, we would never do this. We didn't do this. This isn't us. Oh, by the way, and this isn't a recorded conversation, right? Yeah. He made all kinds of absurd claims that we couldn't publish because we couldn't verify them. Yeah, and we can safely say uh, free of any threat of legal action that that was a lie. <laughs> yeah. the insert the Tyler creator. Yeah. Tyler the creator is, well, that was a fucking lie. So that was a fucking lie. <laughs> well, I... Eric's Eric allegedly. So, <laughs> all, all I'm going to say is that I, when, when Syllogy says that he didn't necessarily know that, that David was being followed or that, uh, that, uh, that Nathan, Nathan was being yeah. followed, he, he may be telling the truth. But but I certainly think that there is a lot of evidence to indicate that individuals within his organization knew exactly what was going on, mm -hmm. right? FPL tells us, listen, we did an internal investigation. This law firm did it for us. Everything's kosher, right? Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. We're like, okay, all right. Whatever, we keep working, right? We... Uh, publish with the Orlando Sentinel and the Guardian, that piece about Matrix working in the 10 states. How big does this go? What else have they done? We just basically put it together. Then we do the media pieces with NPR, right? Okay, they were sending all this money to these uh, six news organizations, including Florida Politics, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, Kristen Henschel, you know, the ABC reporter gets canned the day after the, or the ABC producer uh, freelance. They, they sever relationships with her the day after. Our story drops. Wait, Ma Matrix does that or ABC? ABC does, ABC does, does that ABC in does. like inoculating yeah. themselves. From, inoculating yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, no, Matrix, Matrix doesn't comment about this stuff. They don't want to talk. Um, but we don't hear anything, right? And then last week on Wednesday, after I flew back from Cincinnati, and I'll tell you what I was doing in Cincinnati at another point in the podcast. Um, I, I get a call. Hey, uh, next air's you know earnings call is in ten minutes, and they just announced that Salagi's stepping down. <laughs> and I like I turned white. I turned pale, man. Yeah. I had no I had no idea. I I didn't think so. I, that this wasn't this wasn't something that was out there as like or had been floated at least to to the degree that somebody like you would have found out. Like because a lot of times they'll like and I say that um, because from a PR perspective, a lot of times companies caught in situations like this will float things to see how they'll be received. The little but, trial balloon, like exactly. the Chinese spy balloon. Yeah, <laughs> there was no Chinese spy balloon here at all. <laughs> um, and and what was amazing was how Wall Street reacts. But, but what, as you go into that, go what it. made you turn white when you heard of that? 
because it indicated to me that, and I got to be careful how I phrase it, but one, it felt like, oh my God, all of this reporting, all of this work that I've been doing, all of this talking that I've been doing to some people, right? Um, And it's been difficult work. Somebody was reading it. Somebody was listening it. I, I felt, the company denies this, that because of all of the work that all of these journalists have put on, right, and have written about this, this is some sort of result to yeah. that. No yeah. props. You guys did an amazing I, job. Yeah. They deny it. It, it. That is my feeling, my opinion, right? Right, um, and the official, just so we just so we follow that, the, close the, the loop on that, is the official thing is it's just he's tired of doing this. He wants to move on to, like, yeah, the, the conversation was Spend time with the family type thing. Right, know, because the, the guy, his boss is talking to Wall Street. He's talking to, I mean, this is a Fortune 200 company, the largest clean energy company in the United States. Yeah. Right? Um, one of the largest power companies in the United States. And he says something to the effect of, you know, it's been a rough year for Eric. Uh, two hurricanes, inflation. Yeah. Yada yada, all this and that, the, the, and the, all, the world's smallest violin for Eric. I know how's he going to make it, guys? And all of these news stories, and it's taken a toll. And he's leaving probably a little earlier than he'd like to. Ay, pobrecito. But and I was just like, what? I I didn't know what to think. And then the next day, whatever I published a daily with NPR on that. The next day, it turns out that and and. Up in Jacksonville, God bless him, he did a story about this, and I don't know. Nate has done a story about this. Mm. Um, it turns out that the CEOs of of Next Era flew up to Boston and New York the next day to calm Wall Street down because after the announcement that Eric was leaving, their stock dropped eight percent in the day. Yeah, right. Like Wall Street was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" Because as part of their announcement that he was leaving, they they filed what's called the Securities and Exchange Commission Form Eight K, and in Form Eight K. What, it's just basically an announcement. You have to make it to everybody and you have to make it publicly available to everybody because it's a public company. So they say in this announcement, Mira, mi gente, eh, we have to let you know that we may be on the hook for some investigations and some legal complaints that have been made about our company. And so we want to give you a, a heads up to our investors. And this is just what we're saying. But that we may, we may be getting into a little trouble. Now, we don't know. If we disagree, we think uh, you know we're not really in trouble, and we're going to fight these allegations. What what portended that the 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 change in leadership made that necessitated that it made it regulatorily yeah re- they required. had to file that yeah okay but Wall Street the next day had such a moment right that it turns out that all the CEOs in the C suite flew up to New York and to Boston and to met, they met with all these Wall Street analysts right. And they explained to the Wall Street analyst exactly what was going on. It's they good, said, actually. They, right, right. Yeah. They're like, mira, mira, calm down. Calmense. Eh, we'll tell you exactly what's going on with Eric, uh, why he left, and and we'll publish his contract, his exit contract. And it's public. Um, and right, I now have, the, sound that you, the sound that you hear is Mario flipping through his uh, reporter's notebook and pulling open some notes. I, I took I took some notes on this yeah, thing. Beautiful handwriting, by the way. It's terrible. Uh, you're, it's like chicken you're like an old school reporter. I um, love it. I love it. So this is this is these are some of the provisions in his retirement contract. There's a clawback provision, yeah. right? So one, they're publishing their CEO's 
contract out there, Bagatolo Seban, right? Which is not something I've seen. Not before. always done. Unorth- not always. Unorthodox. Yeah, unorthodox. Unorthodox. Yeah. Um, there's a clawback provision that says basically, hey, Eric, if we get dinged for this, right? If there's a fine, if there's a criminal, whatever, whatever, and we have to pay money out, your compensation, we can take it back. Mm-hmm. And then there's this. Barring him from voluntarily submitting testimony adverse to the company before any government agency or legislative, regulatory, or judicial body that has taken an interest in the company. With the exemption, here's an exemption, uh, of, of disclosing trade secrets in private conversations with government agents uh, or as part of a government investigation, a criminal investigation, or in a sealed filing in a lawsuit. Well, that's oddly specific and not shady at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't. That, 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 that's not a whole bunch of smoke indicating so the potentiality yeah. of a fire. Uh, it, this is the what is the what is the big tobacco movie from the uh, early two thousands with Russell Crowe? Thank you for smoking. I, I need to no. watch it. <laughs> not thank you for smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Jared. <laughs> no, but there is a very famous scene where um, where uh, you know the. the we see we see a deposition. In other words, it acts as a drug. I object to the form of question. It acts as a drug on object the Object to the form. It acts as a drug. Object. Were you then echo in here? Your objection's been recorded. She typed it into her little machine over there. It's on the record. So now I'll proceed with my deposition of my witness. I am instructing you not to answer that question. In accordance to the terms of the contractual obligations undertaken by you not to disclose any information about your work at the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Company. That means you don't talk. The lawyers working on behalf of Big Tobacco are attempting to, in real time, in the middle of this deposition, enforce this. And I believe it's Russell Crowe's character, who they, who is a whistleblower, who they say, um, you know, you are not, you know, you can't, you can't say this shit. Shut up. That means you don't talk. And the other attorney who is, um, you know, conducting his his discovery says, you know, the very famous line where he's like, the great state of Mississippi will not be told, you know. You don't get to instruct anything around here. This is not North Carolina, not South Carolina, nor Kentucky. This is the sovereign state of Mississippi's proceeding. Wipe that smirk off your face. Dr. Wagon's deposition will be part of this record. And I'm going to take my witness's testimony, whether the hell you like it or not. Boy. So, like, it's like a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a whole scene. Shit. Maybe I'll drop the audio in right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, yeah. Absolutely should. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that movie, but what I do know. The Insider. Sorry. The Insider. The insider. There we go. I haven't seen that movie. Um, I've never, you know, seen this kind of stuff before. I'm not a yeah. business reporter. I cover climate. But this gets to your bit at the beginning of the podcast, and we'll get there eventually. But what I first have to say is that there wasn't one investigation internally at FPL. There were two. And we know that the second one started after all of the articles that came out this summer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is no, a, I mean, of course. If, if, if this was, if, if this was, a, I could see an argument being made, trying to see an argue, a private sector argument being made if this is McDonald's or Target or something else that we are not all funneled into being um, consumers of. Where it's like, it, it's really hard for me to extend that, that, that that um that veil of secrecy toward a company that is admittedly a private company, but that we all have a stake in, 
and that is it, it clearly, at least in some way, I know that we do backbends in this country to make sure that things aren't nationalized or owned by the state, but goddamn, come on, man. We all pay these guys like 200 bucks yeah. a month. And it's about to go up. Yeah. Again. Um, again. 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 Yeah. So so the concept that I, I want to discuss here is, is this term called a regulatory compact that exists between a company and its regula- regulators and its, its captive customers, mm-hmm. right? Because these companies are given the privilege of a monopoly, right? Um, and in a sense, it's really, really good for people who need electricity because they have to provide electricity to everybody, right? Right. Um, if this were the 1890s or the 1950s and you're in Tennessee Valley or the 1930s and you're in West Texas, that's a big deal, man. Yeah. Right. Like there's really a lot of the times no financial executive incentive to go get uh, electric lines out to a rural municipality. Um, and in some cases, there are really good utilities out there. Yeah. Right. And and listen, FPL is building a lot of green energy and we'll, we'll get there. Right. Um, but. When you see this kind of stuff going on, right? When you when you look at the company's political giving and you understand that it's designed to give it an edge in who gets appointed to its regulatory body, right? And that those people are the ones who set your bills and design or, or decide whether or not, you know, FPL is gonna get to charge you for high gas prices, right? Uh, natural gas prices. Uh, then as a member of the public, you have to begin to question, well, wait a second, isn't there more public scrutiny that's due to this, right? Isn't there more public debate that shouldn't be happening here, right? And and what my function as an investigative reporter has been over the past year and a half, and what I want to keep doing nationally, right, not to just FPL, uh, but to utilities across the country, is I want to arm the public with what they need to have this debate, right? Because just in the same way that we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes at Florida Power & Light, Right, like I think because we're paying for it with our electric bills, maybe we should have a little bit more of a peek in there. Yeah, more of an insight. Yeah, right. Exactly. There should be some more transparency. Power is knowledge. Um, but to your bit about the state of the climate debate, right? Right. Um, because these two things are intertwined more so than it would be if it was like, let's say, I don't know, the post office that we were right. talking about, or or FedEx, I guess more accurately. Right, you know, right. this these two things are, are intertwined. Um, you spent, a, a, I mean, I would imagine, a, uh, based on the timeline of the book, it was about two years, right? About two years writing that you book, were, yeah. yeah, that you that you spent writing Disposable City, where you um, you heard all of the sort of hand wring or not lack of hand wringing, honestly. Like uh, there are moments in there where you speak with developers who kind of have the things or have the have the sentiment that like, oh, this will work itself out. Yeah. You know, this is Florida. It's just twenty two million people who are in immediate if you consider the next 25 years immediate immediate danger of having to relocate due to the effects of climate change so it'd be one thing if this was happening in i don't know montana where the chinese spy balloon is but this it's it's not it's happening here and it seems like it's really yeah people like salaji and groups like next era like they are by dint of this corruption kind of shaping the conversation at the same time so yeah for one i want to be careful not to call it Corruption um, until there's a public legal document that calls it corruption. Um, until they get a meaningless fine, and it. <laughs> I mean, listen, in in Ohio, uh, First Energy, which did allegedly no, actually, First Energy is the utility company in Ohio. 
it pleaded guilty to bribing Larry Householder, the Speaker of the House there, yep. with $60 million through a dark money nonprofit. It paid $270, $260 million in fines. None of its CEOs went to jail. Um, but it admitted to doing it, yeah. right? And so then, like, you can say that's corruption, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and what, what's, what stops you to say from saying it in, in Florida's case? So specifically, one, like, I don't necessarily know what happened. Right. I, I have to be very honest. Like there could be very, very reasonable explanations for everything that's gone on that don't rise to the level of corruption. Yeah. Right. Um, two, like I also don't think that's a determination that a journalists make. Yeah. It has to be adjudicated. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like like I'm there to tell the story. I, I can list all the facts and say this is what happened. And this is the definition of corruption, and I no, can yeah. publish those two things. I mean, we were talking pre-show about the concept of like house style, you know, like and 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 acceptable style, and and you know, Mario's right. Like you, in order to like, that's a a line editor would cut that right out of your copy if you were like, oh, the, you know, yeah. alluded to corruption. I mean, it's different when you and I have seen. I mean, keep me honest here, but the email where Szilagyi basically was was talking about Jose Javier Rodriguez and said, "I want to make." I'm paraphrasing, so I, I published that. Yeah. I want to make his life a living hell. Right. Ser me, seriously. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. That smacks of corruption. And with the artistic license and podcast license that we have, we come in here and we we'll use a word like that. I, I think it is important though to 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 draw yeah, that distinction. I'm not going to call that corruption. That, yeah. that 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 it's um, it hasn't been adjudicated in any of the like kind of like forums that you're talking about right and, and to eric's credit he admitted to saying that yeah 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 in, oh. in that interview he was like mm, i probably should have used a better choice of words <laughs> no harm no foul yeah. oh wait hard, hard JJR has when you no got job right now <laughs> god damn it's a, the bar is on the floor if we're giving him credit for saying i was not my best self that day <laughs> <laughs> I, I i did some growth i reflected and i have evolved <laughs> No, I guess I spend so and, much and, and now he's taking some accountability. There's a clawback clause. Oh, look at that. He's got the clawback, which I'm sure was foisted on him. I, sure I spend a, a lot of time with people who just don't want to admit to stuff. Yeah. So that when somebody admits to something, you know. Knock me over with a feather. Exactly. I mean, hey, you, you kind of caught him uh, with the hands on the cookie jar. And I'm not just saying that because there's two boxes of Girl Scouts cookies in front of me. <laughs> um, but to the bigger point of where the climate debate is going, right? Maida, the debate of whether or not climate change is real still needs to be kind of had, but it's real. What are you gonna do about it, right? Right. What's this company doing about it? Who's making money off of the delay of transitioning to green energy? Yeah. Who's trying to lie about their product being green? Who's paying people in Ohio, right? to label methane gas a green, quote-unquote, source of energy. It's insane. It is not. It is a greenhouse gas, <laughs> six times more powerful, 12 times more powerful than CO2. I forget the exact amount. That's why floodlight exists, right? That's why we do the reporting that we do. And my argument is that a lot more reporting like this needs to be done. Yeah. Right? Because let's take FPL, right? It's more complicated than it would seem. It's very easy to think, oh, absolutely, they're, they're you know, a terrible actor, yet, blah, blah, blah. FPL has a plan to build 95 gigawatts of solar energy between now and 2045 and to go to absolute zero carbon emissions. You're like, I do mean, that sounds great. I have seen no technical documents about this plan. 
that's a lot of solar. You see no technical. I don't think anybody any anybody's published technical documents about this plan. I would love to see them. All right. I think it's a great idea. But there's a big question about this, right? Solar is intermittent, right? And so you need not just an electron, but you need a molecule. And that molecule, per their plan, is going to be hydrogen. And so what they're going to be doing is they're going to be making something called green hydrogen. Now, if your eyes glaze over when I say green hydrogen, that's okay, right? It's not the most exciting thing. But basically, think of it as, as, a, as like, you know, natural gas, but you're going to make it yourself from, from splitting the, the, the water molecule. The question becomes, nobody's ever made this work at an industrial large scale. And their plan is to power an entire state after this. Uh-huh. And, and Florida's going to do it. Florida's going to do it. It's not, it's not that we're going to do it. It's that we have to do it. we got to figure out some way to make either the, that solar plus battery and storage work or that green hydrogen work. Yeah. Porque no hay de otra, right? Like, otherwise, not just this city, because it's, it's an open question as to whether or not this city has any survival chance left, but Orlando, other cities are going to suffer as well. So this has to work in a sense, but why are they doing this, right? Because it allows them possibly, and I want to see the technical documents here, right, to build out natural gas infrastructure, which can be quickly converted to hydrogen. And if it doesn't work, well, then they still got, got that, right? So it's a hedge. They're not throwing good money after possibly. Yeah. This is all speculative on my part, right? Um, Makes total sense. Though. But this is why you need oversight, right? This is why you need good reporters looking at plans from companies to transition and, and not six quote-unquote journalistic outlets that are taking money for yeah to, re, to, to reword press releases yeah, yeah well not people who and, are rewording press and, releases. and actually not. yeah i don't want to because we've talked we talked about this with elisa but i mean great job in, in part you know in part of reporters like you but there is supposed to be a regulatory body that is supposed to keep fpl in check right so supposed to yeah c- can you just like briefly kind of sure. p- go into that because w- w- what what good is or are these stories if you don't get them you know with that like like not just smoke but fire of like actual it, it, you know prosecutable corruption if that regulatory body which is the public service commission doesn't do its job despite so many stories showing, you know, malpractice by this utility, by this monopoly. So I, I would say that the stories are worthwhile. Given last week events, the stories are worthwhile. It, but yeah, and, and I, I do think yeah, they're worthwhile. Yeah. But you know, so, just so, positing. But it. but you're you're basically asking like, well, well, how do you really get things to change, right? And exactly. then you're pointing us towards this obscure governmental body that nobody's ever heard of, right? Like like this is like like it, if if. An American, I feel like, is more likely to understand how cricket works and follow it closely rather than understand how the workings of its public service commission in a particular state works, right? If I tell a guy on the street, oh, listen, India and Pakistan are playing a test match, he's more likely to know about that than to be able to name his, like, public service commissioners. What's a wicket score? Yeah. Exactly. I don't even know if that's a thing. Is that a thing? Wicket score? I, I, I know there no are, idea. I, know I, there are I don't follow cricket. I know uh, there I'm, are I'm the weird nerd that knows more. Mario, about why the, the hell are you introducing the concept of cricket? If <laughs> because it is literally easier to understand than than utility regulation often. Yeah. Um, but maybe it shouldn't be, right? Yeah. Because this is something that you pay for with your, your with your bill, right? And this is something that the journalists have to be very focused on and explain to people about, but the people also have to care about. Because in Florida. There's a group of five people 
And it's their job to tell this giant corporation how much money it's going to make every quarter. And it's their job to say, yeah, yeah, you can charge the customer for that, but not for this. Mm -hmm. And to check the accounts every couple of years. And to be like, oh, you're going to build a plant over there? Mm, maybe build it over there, mm -hmm. right? And it's a deliberative process. There are nonprofit organizations here in Florida that stand up for the consumer or that stand up for minority groups and say, no, 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 we'd like some more of this. And sometimes they can bring the company to heal and you know, get an MOU signed or whatever memorandum of understanding yeah. about a particular thing. Um, but who sits on that commission? Right. right. How has the makeup and the the way that that commission interacts with the body, with with the organ, with the company that it is supposed to be um, regulating? How has that dynamic changed in, I guess, maybe the last five, six years or so? So, FPL, because of the reporting by Mary Ellen Class, I want to say like four. No, I want to say like seven or eight years ago, had its its rate case, right, its case for more money thrown out the window. Yeah. And ever since then, it's taken a much more active approach, and this is according to reporting by Jason Garcia. Um, friend, of, in, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Um, a great reporter. Uh, in figuring out who's going to be on that commission. And so they donate a lot of money to make sure that the – People who sit on the legislative committee, right, in Florida's legislature that nominates these PSC people are their friends, yeah. right? And then they get to look at who is on the committee, yeah. right? And they have a lot of influence in the committee. Now, that's one level of influence. Another level of influence is, frankly, that the committee only has so many employees and so much money and they're government bureaucrats and they only have so much expertise. And this is a multi-billion dollar company that has all the experts in the world, all of the analysis in the world. So a lot of the times the commissions don't have the ability to double check the math that they're being presented. Is there an issue with what we kind of pejoratively call the revolving door where I, I see a lot of these commissioners, they look like mid-career, highly successful professionals who still have a long career ahead of them and they're not gonna be on these commissions forever, right? They're not gonna do that job forever. There's careerism happening here too, right? Is, is is that some element of it? Or I don't have any specific examples of careerism in Florida because I haven't looked for it yet, right? Like I just did a records poll to the commission where I'm asking for all of their inspector general reports, yeah. right? Um, by the way, life pro tip, if you're a reporter and you're looking into a particular industry or you're looking into a particular uh, state agency, pull all the inspector general complaints, right? It's like, it's like asking for the HR complaints. Yeah. And in Florida, it's a public record. Um, life pro tip. For a very small subset of people. Um, <laughs> for those of you investigative journalists or aspiring investigative to be, journalists. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. just activists or people interested in yeah. participating and in the civic and public we, process. We hope that uh, there are many of you listening to it that are aspiring no, but like reporters. Public records are your friend. But I'll, I'll, I'll divorce you from this for a yes. second, Mario. But like Tomas, last week, I think it was just last week, we were talking about different members of the education board who I, for the first time ever, as a public school parent, uh, I looked at these people and who they are. They're six or seven figure earners who have day jobs in, in corporate America and who have, who are about, you know, my age, the half of their careers behind them, half of their careers still to come. And I, maybe I'm cynical, but I look at that and I'm like, are these people, are these the kind of people that are, that have a track record lobbyist, lobbyist, AT&T chief, you know, communications officer, are these the people who have a ta track record for doing that kind of work, making sure that this public good is up to snuff versus, 
um, kind of just planning their next landing. And I, I think that on, on the last episode, we were in agreement. Like, yeah, that the, the, the Florida school board is a mess and like it's the makeup is terrible. I don't know. Is there any parallels there? Or not based, I guess you're saying so I, maybe, but you don't know. There's a, and this is part of what I'm investigating now because I'm, I'm going to go and I want to look at this systemically, right? Because like f there are many matrixes out there. There are many companies like Florida Power and Light out there, right? And and it doesn't matter what state you're in. There's there's something that interests me about this industry. Um, one data point which I have not yet checked out, but I want to check out that I heard from a source is that the National Association of Regulatory Commissioners called NARUC, okay, <laughs> whatever, a, keeps tabs on how long people are commissioners, right? And that the overall trend has been for people to be commissioners for fewer and fewer years. Mm -hmm. So now the average length of a commission stay is four years, which- Is, is, is it a revolving door effect between the public and private sector I effect? I don't know. I don't know if these people you know, are doing this at the end of their careers. I don't know if there's data- Yeah, sure, maybe they become mailmen afterwards, but more likely, you know, and I, I wait with bated breath to see your reporting on that. I will, yeah. I will, I'm gonna keep digging and I'm seeing yeah. if there's a national trend here. I'm gonna see if there's in Florida, Atlanta and Georgia. I, I wanna know, right? Because this is, this is this is something that we all pay for. Additionally, these people are incredibly important for the energy transition because they literally have the power to tell a utility, no, don't build that gas plant bucko, put some solar instead, yeah. right? Or, hmm. That coal plant, you say that it's worth this much. I don't think so. I think it's worth this much if we take into account how much CO2 it puts out into the atmosphere. So these are incredibly powerful and important regulators. In some states, they're elected. In other states, they're appointed, right? But maybe it isn't about whether or not they're elected or appointed. Maybe it's about how many employees they have, how much expertise they have. Right. right, whether or not they feel like they can take on the powerful interests of the company that they're supposed to regulate. Yeah, whether or not they even are or whether or not they're just acting in service, which is, again, it goes back to this, like, uh, you know, no offense to the media members, but like this, this, this vacillation that we had, I think it was like around the beginning of the Trump era where it was like, oh, well, what is a lie? Are they lying or are they, you know, is it, the intention? Is this person really mm. being dishonest? And it gets into that territory. And I guess going way back to our introduction to this subject, it's like whether the people are acting in good faith or not, the end result ends up kind of being the same. And, and uh, you know, playing out the, I, I feel like this at least, it feels like playing out the string a little bit, like let's see if we can get five or six more years of not having to file any, you know, technical specifications and documents for this huge plan that we have. Let's see if people won't notice. It's like fungus theory. It's all just in the dark. And if it's, it's not, happening. Not, not really a plan if you don't have any technical specifications. Yeah. Well. So I, I don't know. And again, I, I, admittedly, I'm a cynical person, but like it, that's how it strikes me at least. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of greenwashing going on. For example, I think it was BP or, or one of the oil majors for a while talked about, oh, yeah, we're going to look into renewable energy. We're going to build more renew renewable energy. And then, you know, their returns weren't as high as Exxon's this quarter because they weren't as cutthroat about, you know, putting CO2 into the atmosphere as Exxon. And they're like, well, now we're going to talk less about renewable energy, more oil. Um, Guys, we haven't forgotten about killing the seals. We're gonna kill the seals. I promise. Like, don't, please, please make the make the line go up again. <laughs> but to the greater point about substance and nuance, I, I think as a reporter um, and as a journalist, you have to really and like this goes back to what we were talking about the cop in the cop car, right? Like, like 
if it really was well-intentioned, if just like somebody didn't understand the irony that a lot of people can see about that, right? As a journalist, you have to report that, right? Because maybe it leads to a moment where people learn, mm-hmm. right? And 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 that's that's one bit. Um, another is is that it it really like you never know what giving people the information and telling the story as truthfully and as accurately as as you can is gonna do. Yeah. Right, like you can you can have a theory of change as a reporter, right? And it's 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 actually, frankly, it harkens back to original liberalism, right? Like market actors emboldened with the right information will make the right decisions, right? But a lot of the times you don't know if that's going to happen, and you spend all of this time on all of these sleepless nights doing this work, and very powerful people threaten to sue the crap out of you for writing stuff that is true, right? And your defense is the truth. And the truth works in mysterious ways, right? I don't know the whole truth about what happened to Mr. Salagi. I would love it if he sat down with me and and told it to me. If he could, pursuant to whatever non-disclosure agreement he has, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Um, Not triggering any clawback clauses. Right. <laughs> I, I, I would love to tell that story, right? Because maybe it's not the story we all expect, right? Yeah. Um, but given all the information that we have, right, this is what we know. We know all of these scandals occurred, right? We know they were all tied to this group of consultants and a bunch of other consultants, right? We know that this company was engaging in, even though they deny it, manipulation of democracy through dark money nonprofits, right? I can't tell you what to do about that. But I, I can just say that even in just telling this story, incredible things have happened. You know, and I'm going to keep on because I think there's a lot more here. What, what is next for FPL leadership? Do you know? Yeah, is who, there is, any who is Armando Pimentel? Do you know anything about? This? I haven't looked into Armando. Something strikes me that he may be a Belen grad, which would be great because I went to Belen too. Oh God, too. that's such a Belen name. Armando Pimentel. Armando Pimentel is like an iconically Belen Jesuit name. Either either Belen or Columbus. I would love to sit down with him. Like maybe he, he's an old for the, for the listener, we should mention that Armando yes. Pimentel is the replace the um the ta- who's been the replacement who's been tapped. I guess he was a CFO at Next Era and is now coming in to be the CEO uh, yes, in April. Exactly. Also, a, exactly. we should probably add a, a small line about Belen. Oh, yeah, un- Belen Jesuit <laughs> is where. Few, yeah, oh, look, look at this. Oh, we got a Belen grad. There you go, there baby, you go. Miami. Let's class go. Of, class Producer Ben. Class of 2015. Yeah. Class of 05. Nice. Let's go. Look at that. There you go. Look at that. Two Belen But you know, you know, there's throw a rock in this town. Yeah, no, but like one of the two of you should be mayor because I think I don't think you can be anywhere. Yeah, wherever two or more gather in my name, one of you will be Miami City or County Mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't necessarily know what's next for F- I think FPL is very, I mean, from what they told the stock analysts and from what I've seen, right, they're very concerned about this issue affecting their valuation, right? Because what Wall Street looks for the most in a utility is whether or not the regulators are going to give that utility what it needs to make money. Yeah. And if there is a fraying, a lack of trust, if the regulators start asking questions like they did in Arizona, you know, and they say, no, 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 we're not going to give you an 11%. We're going to give you a seven. Oh boy. If you're holding that stock, you know? So I think that's one of the major concerns at FPL, Um, which, hey, 
really puts them on the side of transparency for once, perhaps, right? Because I think they're going to want to be transparent about this. They have an interest in being transparent to Wall Street about this. Oh, we should we should mention really quickly because you alluded to uh, Marilyn Class uh, from the the Herald and Times um, desk. Her reporting that kind of resulted in scuttling that rate hike. That rate hike came through eventually, right? Like we're all feeling that right now. Yeah, the, the, I mean, like a couple of times, I think. Yeah. Rate hikes <laughs> happen every couple of years. That particular rate hike got scuttled. Um, they got their druthers in another way with another PSC commission of a different makeup some years later. Um, but just the fact that they had a rate hike scuttled is a big, deal, a big deal in utility land, right? Like this is this is. This, this is how just, it's just not how things are done. To your you point, know? if you're an investor, if you're a, a, a Bobby Axelrod hedge fund manager and you right. see that happening, you're pulling your money from there. Perhaps, yeah. It'll negatively affect the stock price. And like, listen, man, utilities are like right after bonds, right? Like they're some of the safest stocks yeah, around. Of course. Right? And and I think one of the reasons or one of the things I want to get into my reporting is, is why is that? Right? Like why is it that they've been making 10%, 12%? Alabama Power's case, 14%. Nobody's looked at the books in 40 years. Um, they haven't had a rate case since George Wallace. Not even, if you don't know who George Wallace is, look Not the stand-up Not comic. the stand-up guy. Not the king of comedy. But he rode that utility hard. Um, yeah, so, so I don't know. It's a fascinating marketplace. It's a fascinating non-market, should we say. How much... This seems almost like, uh, you know, we talk about like things like... Um, Public service. Pulitzer Prize judges you based on this kind of stuff. Did it affect change? Back in the old Miami Herald building when you walked in, you would see a big bust of Gene Miller. That was the first thing you saw. And that was a guy who kept sort of chipping away at the rock, to to, to your example earlier, until he got a couple of guys free who right. were on death row, right. who didn't commit the crime. Right. And like it, it, it feels like this is the kind of thing where um, – even partnering with larger media organizations, I feel like, let me not put words in your mouth, do you feel like sometimes you're banging your head against the wall, getting people to pay attention to this stuff, getting it to cut through? Not with utility reporting. Okay. And I can I can, I can, can honestly tell you these are the most popular stories. Is it because it affects everybody? Because it affects everybody. Because yeah. you're paying for this from your from your bill. Because yeah. I'm paying for this. You know? Because we're all, we're all somehow on the hook for it. Yeah. Right? And energy prices are going up. And so I, I thought that this was going to be when I went into it, you know, I was like, OK, you want me to cover utilities? <laughs> you what? Um, and then as I learned more and more, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating business, but also like some of the stories that have come out. Oh, my God. It's a it's a darn good yarn. Yeah. Right. Like it's a good story. If, if, look at what's happening in Ohio. I mean. The FBI got involved into into looking into the head of the Ohio House of Representatives because they were sitting down at a Tim Hortons or a Bob Evans, some of these Midwestern restaurants, with a lawmaker. And the lawmaker was there to complain about the head of the house. And he was like, oh, the head of the house has been telling me that I need to vote on this bill that's a bailout for these nuclear plants and these coal plants. And I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And, and he's pressuring me. And the FBI guy was like, well, oh, oh, oh. And then as he was sitting there, the lawmaker got a text from the head of the house. Hey, I need you to delete everything that I've told you. And if you delete everything, we're going to be okay. I won't hold it against you. Great thing to put down on text and to send over the air, by the way. Yeah, what a, Jesus what a brilliant. Christ. And the lawmaker showed this to the FBI agent. And the FBI agent said, oh, 
That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's peculiar. By golly, I think we might have something here, Joe. <laughs> and then came the wiretaps. You know? Jesus. It's a crazy case up there. But then you start thinking, wait, there have been 10 utility scandals in as many years. Right. And this is a national phenomenon. So what's going on here, Jets? Yeah. And meanwhile, profit margins keep kind of going up. and At most yeah. of them, unless you're in yeah. Arizona, at which point it got knocked down from uh, 11 to 7. And is there, again, I don't want to take us on a rabbit hole here, but is there like another country or, I mean, there is, of course, but is there another system that works better than what we have in this country? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I don't how, know. How does, it, how, does, how does energy work in Argentina, Tomas? Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's. Is it Not, nationalized or it, it, a lot of it is nationalized and there's public private partnerships, but they don't have this level of like control and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more regulation. Influence. Like they yeah, don't have this influence. like kind of like building their own world, you know? Yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't see them. This profligate spending allows them to kind of create their own regulatory environment, which exactly. is really what we've been talking about. No, you don't, about. you don't see this. Yeah. It seems like uh, another uniquely American thing. Also, I mean, our elect, our electoral system is, is much different, but right. you, you would right. never be able to have like an energy company, you know, bribing former like state senators to, you know, to recruit, yeah. um, no, former state senators to bribe, you know, people to run as a ghost candidate. Like right. that's just unthinkable, unfeasible. Yeah. And, and we should note FPL ended up giving money to promoting the candidates, but they deny knowing that that plot to bribe was, was <laughs> you know, uh, afoot and, and they deny being the source yeah, of the money for the cat. Funny they're how just, it worked they're out They're just so them. generous. They just give money and, hey. Yeah, yeah. hey. Sounds like a good guy. <laughs> I don't Something know happened. how it works in other countries. I think in France it's very different. Mm. I, I think um, my suspicion, my thesis, right, is that it, it doesn't necessarily have to deal with the structure that you put forward here. Like, I don't think it matters as much as if it's an open market or if it's a monopoly, if it's vertically integrated or if it, the transmission is separated from the... I think what matters is, are the people in charge of regulating this smart? Do they have the capacity? And do they have the pelotas? Yeah. Right? I think that's what it's going to come down to. Because you still have to regulate rules for a market. Right? And so, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a valid question. I would love to figure out how it's organized in Canada. Because I think that that's probably going to be a very similar... Um, country and maybe oh no Australia. no no you don't want canada you got wait times for your um power in canada <laughs> just kidding <That's laughs> using the old the old familiar the old one. Yeah, yeah the old healthcare one yeah, you don't yeah, want yeah. those wait times yeah you know but i mean listen this is a system that needs to transform yeah. completely for us to be uh, we get 70 percent of our energy from natural not natural gas methane it's crazy from yeah. methane retrograde see this goes back to my thing from one of our very first episodes where i said and we were talking at that time about the um homeowners insurance crisis and Looking at all of the assorted homeowners uh, right. insurance providers that had gone out of gone out of business, and um, I, 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 just at a baseline level, and you can call me a communist or a socialist or whatever, but like at a baseline core level, if it's a thing that we all have to buy, and it's specifically from one or even just two companies, and we only have a choice to buy from them. I don't think that the guy at the top of that should live in a $10 million mansion. Shut up, yeah. Kami. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just don't. I don't think that they though. should live in a $10 million mansion. If you, if I'm forced to be your customer, I mean, like, we can go down the rabbit hole again of, like, nationalization or state-owned or whether it's this, like, quasi-enterprise, whatever. You, you got your hands in my pocket, man. I don't think that, that, that you should be digging quite that deep that your CEO's and that your executives, your boards of directors, 
get um, compensated in, in, in that fashion, whatever you want to call it. The, the head of the, and this is going to go long, but this is fascinating stuff. So I'm going to keep you here for a no, little bit fine. longer. I'm going to keep, I'm going to tell you this one anecdote. The head of the Democratic House in Maine, former school teacher, first name Seth, really nice guy. He has a thesis. I haven't checked the tires on this thesis. So I'm just going to present this thesis as saying this is a thesis that he told me and that I'm going to double check, right? His thesis is the following. If you look at the six cities in the United States that have achieved clean energy, four of them are Republican, two of them are Democratic, 100% clean energy. What is the abiding common element between all of them? They all have either municipally run or cooperative utilities. There you go. We love, we love, love to, to hear, hear it. it. We love to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> we love it. And so he's been fighting tooth and nail to municipalize. We have to come up with a better verb for this. I have to come up because I'm not going to write the verb municipalize six times in a story when I write a story about this. Dios mio, people are going to die. Nationalize comes right off the tongue. but <laughs> We are not going to use nationalize. Yeah. 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 This is America. These are, like these are like energy expansion teams. And, yeah. Right, exactly. Ah, <laughs> yeah. see, there you go. Yeah. The, Ar the Arizona Diamondbacks of energy. Somebody, somebody, <laughs> somebody's go, been go. reading a little Orwell. Um, <laughs> he's been voting to try and get uh, central main power to not be a private company owned by an international Spanish conglomerate that's getting investigated everywhere uh, anymore, but to be a state-run utility. Mm. And they're fighting tooth and nail against that, obviously, up in Maine. Um, but his thesis is that municipal or cooperative control, right, is going to allow you to transition more quickly to green energy. I'm going to double-check his facts on that one, right? Yeah. Because I haven't gone through it. I haven't looked at these six Sure. Cities. You, you want to make sure it's not like a, a correlation versus causation thing. Exactly. Yeah. I want to be very clean. And then also, you know, he has an interest in presenting this plan. It's his plan. Of course. Right? Um, would give him a lot of power. Right? Would give him a national, perhaps, thing to run. Right. But maybe there are elements of truth to it that are worth exploring and worth thinking about. So I think that's a good place to end. Um, wait, I guess wait, wait, wait. Before we... Because I have a good memory. Okay. Mario, you're not leaving here without telling us what the hell were you doing in Cincinnati? Oh, oh yeah. That's right. Does it have to do with Joe Burrow or no? It does not have to do with Joe Burrow. So okay. I was in Cincinnati ostensibly, and this is what I told my bosses, to cover the opening of the Larry Householder trial, right? Larry Householder is uh, the yes. guy who, uh, you know, former Speaker of the House, accused of taking the $60 million bribe from the energy company. But really what I was there for was to try and determine whether or not Cincinnati chili is actually chili or not. Wait, I'm not familiar with this particular yeah. food, um, yeah. like conundrum. Like, what what is the what is the uh, what is the debate? It's not a debate. This is a one man <laughs> it's, crusade. It's settled. <laughs> Journalism. It's settled. <laughs> so, Cincinnati chili is a world famous dish. Huh. Of I'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> chili that they put on spaghetti, oh, okay. and that they put on <laughs> on hot dogs. Right. That's it. Except if you take a look at it, it's not chili. It's a Greek meat sauce. It's okay. a Greek meat spaghetti sauce. It doesn't have beans. It doesn't have uh, onions. I don't like that. It has nutmeg. It has That's cumin. Ill. It's got sugar, right? Esto es una salsa de spaghetti. Dios mío. It's a white elephant. And so I was there to really, really just experience it firsthand. And you liked it? It was delicious. Yeah, oh, okay. But it's not a chili. Okay. All right. I guess it's good chili. to like balm. Your, it's a balm for your soul. 
um, it's you know, in Cincinnati. for oh just God. literally being in Cincinnati. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, at least I've got this I, spaghetti I, sauce that everyone tells me is chili. I guess nobody else is as animated by my crusade, my nomenclatural crusade. Um, as I am. <laughs> no, I, we I, learned something new. It should be Cincinnati meat yeah. sauce. I learned a lot today. I'm trying to think of a situation where like, and I used to cover sports for the Miami Herald and I used to go to a lot of random cities, not Cincinnati, I haven't mm. been there yet. But um, um, I'm just trying to think of a situation where I might end up in Cincinnati. And- um, Can't think like, of one. Yeah, just, I, I, I mean like- You're gonna try it. You're gonna go to I'm Skyline gonna yeah, yeah. and you're gonna text me. You're gonna think, oh my God, Mario was right. This is great. <laughs> If I'm, in, if I'm in Cincinnati, sauce. it means I got kidnapped. That's the only way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am we're, in we're, big we're, trouble. We're, 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 we're going to feed you their world famous chili. That's what they're going to. So you're going to eat in captivity. <laughs> Gerald is shackled in a basement, a cold basement, yeah. in like in, in you know, being spoon fed this outside Youngstown, yeah. and they're like, "Here's what you're eating." And, oh, this is actually delightful. Thank you. Oh, wow, it's not so bad. <laughs> so our guest today was Mario Arisa, whose work can be found on floodlightnews.org. You can follow him on Twitter at Mario Arisa Baez, and to stay up to date on all things um, energy, climate related, everything, all that that wonderful uh, upcoming reporting that he teased for us just now. You guys got a little inside. Um, track on where where the uh where the story is headed mario thank you so much for joining us a pleasure guys it's been lovely chatting yeah and buy, and buy his book too and buy the yeah. book man disposable, disposable city. city you can find it out there i'm gonna get mine autographed that's all for this episode of why are we like this be sure to follow us on apple Podcasts for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts visit us at wawlt.com follow us on twitter Walt. at walt show and on TikTok at Walt Show, you can Walt. also email us at Walt at allpointswest.net. Until next time, this was Why Are We Like Walt. This? Walt, Walt, Walt. Walt Mafia Rising. <laughs>